0: First Thessalonians, we're continuing in our series entitled Living and Looking, Living and Looking, and uh, this morning we are going to continue in the sixth part of that message in our exposition, going through a Bible book is kind of what we do and what we're doing here with First Thessalonians, and so this morning we are in chapter 3, chapter 3, if you've missed any of these, Uh, they're online, and encourage you to go back and uh, catch up and listen to them. But it is uh, chapter 3, and the title of the sermon this morning is titled Persevering Through the Hard Times. Persevering through the hard times is what we're going to look at in First Thessalonians chapter three, verses one through eight. You know, one of the things as we mentioned in the sermon in First Thessalonians that uh, it was a church that was birthed and continued to exist in hardship and sufferings and trials. The Apostle Paul who wrote this letter was not adverse to hardship and trials. This was a church that was enduring hardship and trials. So the title, Persevering Through the Hard Times. This past year, as I mentioned, uh, with the pandemic uh, and everything that's happened, even here in the church, of uh, losing loved ones uh, uh, in the past year and a half to two years, uh, friends, Pastors in the area. It is just an underscore and reminder that we remain and live in a fallen, sinful world. All of creation is affected because of the fallen world of sin that we live in. Disease, uh, crime, evil, all those things are a result of this fallen world. The Christian is not immune or somehow uh, separated from tragedy or suffering or crisis. It is part of us living here. And the question, really, that we have to always ask ourselves is, what do do we do as Christians? And uh, this is a a message primarily geared for believers, but I would also, if you're not a follower or a believer in Jesus Christ, I pray that uh, God's Word will uh, be used by the Spirit to draw you to Himself, But as Christians, what do we do? How do we respond when our world caves in? When we go through hard times, difficult times, not times or events of our own choosing. How does a Christian respond in those trials? How should we respond? What can we do to keep our faith and our focus on God strong? That everything that uh, comes at us, comes against us, Uh, we will respond to one way or the other. And one person, I read a quote this week, I I liked it, wrote it down, and he was talking about persevering through trials, and he said he learned, somebody had told him this, and the question is that when hard times come, when hard times come, this, uh, this person quoting somebody else told him, when hard times come, listen, be a student and not a victim. Now think about that. Be a student and not a victim. Our culture perpetuates and cultivates a continual victimhood, regardless of who you are and what you are. And please do not, I'm not minimizing real tragedy and evil, not in any way. But listen, if you live long enough in this life, you will be a victim of something, Something is going to come into your life, something you're going to have to face. And the question as believers, am I going to just live my existence in a perpetual sense of I'm a victim to all these things that have happened to me, or am I going to say, God, teach me to be a student that even in these hard times, even in these difficult times, even in this valley season, God, let me be a student so that I may learn your ways. That I would learn your faithfulness. That I would learn your statutes. That I would learn and go deeper as much, you know, uh, the harder you hit me the, like a nail, the deeper I'm going to go. And so God, help me to be a student. Help me to have a mindset, a kingdom mindset. You know what a kingdom mindset is? Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God, help me to have a kingdom mindset that I'm seeking first, the kingdom of God. God, how do I see your kingdom at work? Even in this situation in my life, help me to learn and be a student to persevere through the difficult times. You see, a student of trials has learned through the problems of life that God alone is our source of of happiness and joy. Amen. I think Paul kind of under, got this when he wrote familiar verses in Philippians 4. It's not on the screen, just you know it. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. Paul says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is the true Christian uh, perspective concerning trials, suffering, hardship. And again, probably no more question has perplexed and been on the the, the, the thoughts of believers from, from the, almost the beginning if, is how do we reconcile a loving God with the existence of suffering and evil? That's a, that's a massive question. And you know what? I, I'm not going to answer that for you today, okay? If I did, I would be rich. I would write a book and be in Hawaii writing books on I got the answers to everything, right? Ten points. That's a joke, Okay. I'd stay in Florida. I don't want to go to Hawaii. But anyway. Uh, but you know what I am limited to do and you're limited to do? Here, here's where we're bound. Not in speculation. Not in philosophizing and saying, well, it seems to me. I'm not interested in what it seems to you. I am limited to this. I'm limited to what this says and what it doesn't say. And where it stops, we have to stop. You know, Remember those Psalms that after many of them that just says Selah, which just says stop and ponder this. There are things that you're never going to have. Every T crossed and every I dotted. There's going to be an aspect as finite creatures that we will say great is the mystery of God. But as I've always said, when you think about God, don't start with thinking about God with the barrel half empty. As though you're questioning God's righteousness, his motives. How could God do this? How could God allow this? How could God See you're starting with the bo- you're starting with it half empty. You're already you're, you're bottom feeding. Now as a Christian, you begin, first of all, let me start with these prerequisites. God is holy. He's righteous. He's just. He works all things together for my good. He works all things together for his glory. So if I start from there, even what is a mystery and what I don't understand, I fit it under the umbrella of God's righteousness and holiness. And is God not worthy of my trust, even when there's things I don't understand? Absolutely, because I know that all the ways of the Lord are right. Genesis 18, 25, the judge of all the earth always does right. And you know what the determiner of right is? Not me, not you, not a Gallup poll. God is the standard of rightness, right? So, with that perspective this morning, and looking at 1 Thessalonians 3, we're going to not read it up front, but read verse the eight verses as we walk through, and then this morning I want to share with you five truths, principles about persevering through hard times. The Apostle Paul is writing, remember he's writing back to the church in Thessalonica, he had to leave it, he's writing back to new believers who... Uh, have been existing as a church, found themselves in great difficulty, great tribulation, persecution, and, uh, and so he's writing them back with a word of encouragement. Um, something, uh, before I go on, something I'd written down that I, I thought of. You know, people, and again, all of this backdrop, we always talk about the sovereignty of God. Because God, when we talk about sovereignty of God, that means there's not one speck of dust on this earth or or whatever in the universe that he created that is not under God's sovereign rulership and control. And some people will say, why pray if God is sovereign? And I thought, well, why pray if God is not sovereign? Right? Why pray if he's not? Whether you understand the theology of it or not, when you pray, you better hope that God is sovereign to handle your issues. In your problems. And so we believe in that type of God because that's the God that is spoken of so clearly in Scripture. But notice the first of these five truths as we unpack verses 1 through 8 with the backdrop of persevering through the hard times. Paul the Apostle gives us some wonderful counsel. Number one, notice with me the assault of trials on the Christian the assault of trials on the Christian. Our trials are unsettling. And you just fill in the blank of whatever that situation is. And this morning, I'm going to be using the NIV, the New International Version. I just like the way it flowed a little better than the normal uh, English Standard Version. So that is what will be on the screen. Verses 1 through 3, Paul says, verse 1, "...so when we could stand it no longer..." We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy back to Thessalonica, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage your faith, verse 3, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are Destined for them. Two words that the NIV brings out are the word unsettled, which, uh, you know, the New Testament is written in, in Greek in the original. Uh, but that word unsettled means to wag the tail, or one of the meanings is wag the tail. It has the idea of being shaken, wagged, shaken by circumstances that fall along in your path. Can you think of some that have shaken you in your life? That have shaken you, they've they've unsettled you and the second word is the word trial and that comes from the idea to be under the thumb. You feel like this situation, this trial that you're under the thumb, the pressure of this situation, you're unsettled. It's a trial. And many of you have experience and maybe even are experiencing that type of pressure from circumstances that you wake up thinking about it, you go to sleep thinking about it, your appetite, you, you're putting, you're putting uh, cartons of milk in the back porch because you're daydreaming about this problem. You don't even know what you're doing sometimes because it's an all-consuming issue. You say, well, have you done that? Yeah. I put milk back in the cupboard with the peanut butter, right? Right. Fortunately, it was rescued before it went bad. You know, but as you listen to popular speakers in our culture, uh, Christian speakers, you would wonder, are we even using the same Bible? When you hear what they, how they address some of these issues. Look, when I look at the New Testament, when I look at the Bible, when I look at the Old, new, old and New tes- Testament regarding trials, two, two truths stand glaringly out, and that is that trials are the common lot of every Christian. They are the common lot. No one is is exempt, no one gets a trouble-free ride to heaven. That is a myth. And if you, listen, if you don't need this message today, file it away, because someday you will, I assure you. Remember, I remember the first sermon that I preached here is, was about the valleys, and I said this, you're either talking about the valley, you know, and in, in the Bible is a picture of going through trials and hardships. Here's the way life is in three easy points. You're either in the valley right now, that's the valley of tribulation, the picture, you're either in the valley, you're getting ready to go in the valley, or you're coming out of the valley. I've just described your life in three points right there. Am I right? That's the way life is. But you know what? He's God outside the valley, inside the valley, and when you come out, he's the same God. And thanks be to God for that. So trials are the common lot of every believer. And here's the other thing that I believe when you, when you just see the totality of God's counsel is that our, our particular trial doesn't matter as much, and I'm not minimizing serious things. But really in the big picture, it's not so much about the trial, it's how I respond to this situation. How have I responded to it? That's a, that's a radically revolutionary thought to some people. Often what do we do? We focus in on the details and become consumed about the difficulty itself, as though this is the most important thing in the world. And again, there are things that are overwhelmingly troubling. But really, how do I respond to the very thing that has happened? You see, most of the time, you and I don't always have a choice when hardship comes along. But we do have a choice in how we respond to it, don't we? We always have a response. We always have a choice in how we respond. I can't control whether stuff is going to come at me or come against me or whether it's physical health, whatever it is. But I can always, always choose how I will respond to it. Do I respond in faith and trust in God or in unbelief, in humility or in arrogance, in unforgiveness or... In anger, hope, or in despair, how do I respond to this? Our trials give us very little warning. In fact, you know the scripture in James 1 that says, speaks about, remember the scripture says, count it all joy when trials, and the picture there, I forget which, uh, which translation has it, or at least the emphasis in the Greek, is that count it all joy when, when trials come upon you overwhelm you, overtake you, count it all joy. You're like, that's crazy. That's impossible to, what do you mean count it all joy? Because he says that when these trials come upon you, count it joy because God is allowing this, whatever it is you fill in the blank, for the testing of your faith. You see, one of the dangers that we have to be always aware of is a false faith, false faith, a faith that is relying on that which is unreliable. And there's something unique about hardship and suffering because it determines or will show up, show uh, the validity or show the, you know, uh, the, the, re- the reality of that which we are leaning upon for our faith and trust. Is it reliable? Is it strong enough to withstand the storms that we face? So therefore, we we should count it all joy. Because if we show that our faith in this testing when these trials come, that our faith and our resilience in God and His grace and His sufficient grace, as Paul said, that we're strong, that's a joyful thing. Because it shows us that, yes, upon Christ the solid rock I stand and all other ground is what? Sinking sand. Secondly, not only the assault of trials on the Christian, but notice the appointment of trials on the Christian. The appointment of trials on the Christian. Our trials, and here's a radical thought, our trials are appointed. Look with me at verse 3. So that, this is the, actually the latter part of verse three. He says, So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. But here, this last part, of, this last sentence, he says, For you know quite well that we are destined for them. Destined for what? Trials. We are destined. The one writer uh, who knows all good language studies. Comes that this phrase we are destined comes from the verb that means to put or to put or to put or to place. In other words, it's it's a very strong way of saying. Now, listen to me, this may shake some of you, but I don't know how any other way to present it other than what it says here, is that these hard times that we face, that we go through, were placed here in our life by God they didn't happen by accident. In fact, this is the opposite of chance or circumstance. I don't know how I mean really I don't know how you really find comfort living in a world where everything is just a shot in the dark. Do you? I mean, I don't. Do I again? Th- and this is where this is where in in our in our as students of scripture this is where we have to Uh, sometimes feel this tension of two twin truths that come up against each other. And it it is this. And I'm just only going to note it because I feel like I need to just mention it here. And maybe um, it'll be something for another day. But when you talk about this, that, that God has appointed, that God has allowed a circumstance of hardship, trial, Uh, dare I say, even disease, sickness that God has allowed and even in some measure we could say appointed, doesn't that misspeak about God? And here again, here's, here's the tension that we have to live with if you're a student of Scripture. The Bible, and I'll just say it this way, I wrote this paragraph, the Bible makes a distinction in that God allows trials, suffering, hardship, death, to temporarily function in a fallen while, one part. All the while, God remains sovereign or omnipotent, all-powerful, that He allows these sufferings to be used in His ultimate purpose. And I bring before the court... Again, Mr. Joseph, we wear out Joseph, who said to his brothers who instigated great evil and suffering upon his life, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. That's a hard truth, but it's truth nevertheless. So as even Peter said, and we talked about this, I think that first week we were talking about the adversary. That even Peter in Acts chapter 2, when he said about, in Acts 2, when he speaks about this man whom you, by the hands of evil men, crucified, God predetermined beforehand. Twin truths that don't seem to match. Evil perpetrated, but God allowed it for his ultimate purposes. Do you see what we're saying here? That's That's a hard truth, isn't it? Are y'all awake? Hello? That's a hard truth. And so, in God's allowance, and this is what's important, in God's allowance of man's evil choices or consequences of that evil in a sinful fallen universe, the Bible is also clear that this in no way is to say that God caused evil and suffering. You see, James, maybe he anticipated this sermon that I was going to know. But he said this really clear in James 1.13. He said, let no one say when he is tempted, quote, let no one say this. It's not true. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. God does not create, listen, God does not create evil to put upon somebody. You remember the language of Romans chapter 1 about three or four times where it says, and God gave them up, and God gave them up, or sometimes it says, and God gave them over. You see, God in his grace and mercy restrains the evil in this world from being as evil as it could be. And when Romans 1 uses that language and God gave them up to do what was in their heart naturally to do, if God was not restraining them, trying to bring them again to repentance, God was not creating fresh evil for them to do something that they were powerless to do, God withdrew his grace and they went the way They would have gone anyway, because that was what was in their heart to do. It's a tough, it's a tough thing. It's a tough truth. But I again, I just can't, I don't know how you present, I don't know how you come to it any other way. Psalm 81, 12 said, the Lord says, So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. You see, one writer said this, and you've heard this. For the child of God, there's no such things as accidents, only incidents. God never said, oops. God's never caught off guard. Do I understand everything about that? No. But what's my alternative? To think of a deity who's running around trying to get one step ahead of the devil. That's not the God we worship. Do I understand the mysteries of the Godhead? No more than the little ant understands me standing over it glaring at its little mound can understand me. We're talking about God. And yet, even in the darkest trying times, I have to lean on that anchor. I have to go to that default and say that God is God. That God is faithful. That the most intimate, deep growth moments of my life have not, been co- have not come when I'm sailing high or living on the mountain. You know when they've come? I've come when I'm in so low, I've got to look up to see bottom. That's why James says, count it all joy. Because when you're tested, the anchor holds, to use that metaphor. Nothing just happens. And so we see the assault of trials, even the appointment of trials. But notice, thirdly, this has to do with the purpose, the agenda of trials the Christian. The agenda. Our trials are even necessary. Verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians 3. Paul says in fact. Remember he's writing to these young believers. In fact when we were with you. We kept telling you. We kept telling you. That we would be persecuted. Now. Some folks would say, Paul, that's a bad confession. You shouldn't confess negatives. You brought all this on yourself. You should have said, We are going to be victorious. He says, No. Paul says, I'm only telling you what Jesus said. In this world, you will have tribulation. They persecuted me. Guess what? They're coming after you. They hated me. They're, they're going to hate you, my followers. He says, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and guess what? And it turned out that way, as you well know. That's what he says. Listen, I have more confidence in somebody who anticipates trouble than somebody that walks through life in la-la land. I have more confidence in somebody who's preparing Yeah, things may happen. Yes, you know what? The government may default. This world may fall apart. This Washington, listen, if they, (laughs) don't even go there, all right? I mean, listen, bad stuff. Does that mean we go and start hoarding up groceries? Maybe, I don't know. I'm coming to your house if you do that. You know, the Bible speaks about being as, what, innocent as doves and Wise as serpents. It's okay to be a realist and still be a person of faith. I have more confidence in somebody who expects and anticipates trouble and prepares for it than someone who's just trying to go through life singing everything's coming up roses. Paul helps us in Romans 5 talking about this purpose. Let's go back to that purpose, that agenda. Romans 5 verses 3 through 4 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. You know, sometimes trials aren't always negative. Sometimes trials and attacks will come because not necessarily because you're out of the will of God, but you know, sometimes trouble comes because you're in the will of God. The assault of trials, the appointment of trials, the agenda of trials. Number four, and we won't spend much time here because we spent two weeks talking about the adversary of trials for the Christian. The adversary. 1 Thessalonians 3, five. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. He, Paul wants to hear, how are they doing? Are they, are they still there? Are they falling away? Paul said, I was afraid that in some way the tempter, that's that adversary back in chapter 2.18, the Satan... I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. We talked about that for two weeks, talking about how Satan is the, the adversary. Satan seeks to hinder the believer in the work of God. We, we, we spent some time there. But how, specifically, how does the adversary, the enemy, attack us when we're going through a hard time? You may Again, I suspect many of you in fact, almost without exception, most of you are having a hard time about something. About something. Something's on your mind. Something worries you. Something wakes you up at three in the morning. You can't go back to sleep. Listen to how the enemy seeks to hinder us. One, he, attempts, he tempts us to doubt God's goodness. That's the reason you got to think big thoughts about a big God. That's the reason you need to think about this God that the Bible talks about who is holy and righteous. Read books about the attributes of God. Read things that are going to get your mind around a big God instead of this Santa Claus God of the American culture. He tempts us to doubt God's goodness. Secondly, he, ta- he tempts us to retaliate against others with anger and resentment. Remember Scripture says, we don't war against flesh and blood. It's not your outlaws, your in-laws. That was a Freudian slip, maybe. Uh, it's not your in-laws that are the problem. It's not your boss, It's not but he wants us to take measures in our own hands, retaliate with anger and resentment. I was listening to Charles Stanley this morning getting ready. And he was talking about a situation when he was a young man working somewhere and there was some accident or whatever and the boss just chewed him out. And Charles Stanley said, you know, I I didn't say anything. I didn't say, it wasn't me who did this. He said, probably because I was too afraid. And, And he was talking about how sometimes, you know, it's okay, and I need to learn this, sometimes it's just okay not to say anything. Let God work, right? I need to learn that. And then also, Satan tempts us to give into despair and discouragement. Pastors see this all the time with church folks. Trials come at them and they begin to fall into these traps of questioning God's goodness. They're angry, they're resentful at somebody, something, and they've fallen into despair and discouragement. You see, Paul feared for these Thessalonians that they had fallen into this trap and and that these hard times that were wearing against them had actually deterred them from the gospel. Listen, hard times, difficult times, sickness, disease, death in the family, loss, you name it, they will wear you down. You know, Sherry, between my two brothers your mother, three this year, right? And that's not even counting other folks that we know, right? Sometimes you just feel like you're just kind of, you know, you're flying above it a little bit, but you're not. The one meter that sometimes is the most neglected little meter, you know, imagine your life like a dashboard. You know, we know about... Oh, we need to exercise. Watch that meter. We need to walk more. We need to eat better. That's a meter. We need to have our, you know, we do have our quiet time, as you know, folks sometimes say. We need to pray, read our Bible. We need to do all those things, and we think, okay, all those are. I'm doing all those things. Why do I feel like crying all the time? Because there's one meter that we neglect the most and that's that emotional meter things happen in our life that emotionally just suck the life out of us and we think because i'm you know i'm losing weight i'm exercising i'm doing all these things but there's things that come at us that emotionally just wear us down until we crash See, the enemy can't steal and rob our salvation. But you know what, Christian, he can do? He can make you miserable while you're saved. He can make you miserable and unproductive in the kingdom of God. You ever know an angry Christian? I have. I've been That's the thing I remember from the opening in Steve Smith's. What's the title of the new book? Anyway, it's the it's his book, one the main book. But he talks about as a you know he talks about that uh, in his book. All right, there's a fifth and final truth, and that's the attitude of the Christian facing trials worded a little differently. Our trials are used by God. Verse 6, but Timothy, Paul continues, has just now come to us from you, and he's brought us good news about your faith. It's probably maybe maybe almost two years lapse between when Paul had to leave Thessalonica, fear of his life, Eventually he had to go and wound up and met Silas and Timothy in Athens. And it was when he was in Athens, he references that earlier, that he sends Timothy back to check in on them, see how they're doing. And then, you know, it takes a while to travel in those days. And and Timothy's bringing back this good report. And that's what's prompting Paul to write what he's writing. But Timothy has just now come to us from you. And he's brought us good news about your faith and love. He has told us, that you always have pleasant memories of us, that you long to see us just as we long to see you. See what Paul says about their faith, how their faith has proven to be enduring. Paul's faith that he has in mind, that trust in God. When you see faith, just put the word trust there. Trusting in God, faith in God, that is, is, must never waver in our, in our encounter of these hard times. What kind of faith are we talking about? We're talking about faith in God's character? Because God always, the devil always wants to diminish God's character. Didn't he do it in the Garden of Eden? When that is modus operandi with Eve in the garden? To diminish the character and goodness of God? Did God really say, God knows when you eat of this tree, you'll be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. He he's holding out on you. He hasn't given you everything for good. You can't really trust that kind of God. See how the devil works? He has nothing new. That's why the Bible says we're not ignorant of his schemes. So it's a faith in God's character we need to grow in, a faith in God's Word, that God's Word is true. I submit my opinions and my mind to the Word of God, faith in God's purpose, that he's working all things together for good. I'm being conformed to Christ, that even in that even in my sufferings, Paul said, oh, I want to know your sufferings, Jesus. Faith in God's promise, he'll never leave us or forsake us. He's true to his covenant when we are covenant breakers. Faith in God's presence, he's with us. Even though the Bible, the Bible says, even though I make my bed in hell, thou art with Faith in God's power that He'll provide a way of deliverance. The psalmist said in Psalm 13, I think the psalmist, David, understood hard times. He said, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and How sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? God, how long? But a few verses later, he just kind of puts that away and says, in verse 5 and 6, Psalm 13, that's the first two verses, verse 5 and 6, he falls back into trusting God. He said, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Listen. This isn't word of faith, hocus pocus. But let me tell you something. You better know the word. The Bible says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You better know the Word. You better speak the Word. You better think Bible. Think the Word of God because that's truth. Not your feelings. Not your emotions. Your feelings and your emotions will always lie to you. You Remember Paul, that good old man we keep talking about? Listen to what he said. Make a note. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. He said, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Anybody see that every day? A little bit of wasting of that outer self, right? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self. That means there's an inner man, if you will. Is being what? Renewed day by day. And listen to how he talks about his sufferings. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians 4. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient temporary, passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. That's where we've got to get our heads and our minds and our hearts, even in those dark, troubling times. But there's something going back to 1 Thessalonians 3 that I want you to see here. And it's in the bottom part of verse 6 where Paul says, uh, he says that you long to see us just as we long to see you. You see, one of the things that we need to understand, church, is that when we're going through difficulty, when we're going through hard times, this faith that we need to withstand and to walk through and persevere, this is not a faith for ourselves alone. It's not, a, it's not an isolated faith. It's a shared faith. He said, he said, he said, We long to see you, and I know you long to see us. You see, believers, we are never intended to walk through life alone. That's why God has put us in the body of Christ, the church. That's why He's connected people that on the outside would probably not have much to do with each other, but because we have together in Christ, we have an unbreakable bond God has never intended us to walk through the valley by ourselves. Not only has God provided His very presence, but I believe also we understand the role of His people. He's provided His church, His people. What was the one thing that God told Adam? It is not good that you should be... And you know what? It's not good that you should be alone. This me and my church on the internet nonsense... The internet, that computer is not going to come minister to your needs when you're sick. It's not going to visit you in the hospital. Paul said, we long to see you. You know, I was reading Hebrews 10. And Hebrews 10, listen... Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then verse 25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And I thought, huh. Right there in the first century, the writer of Hebrews had to encourage people to come to church. Not much has changed. Really. Listen, some folks in this church and Listen, I'm, your, I'm not paid to sell you ice cream. It should bother you if you are okay just to come once or twice a month. And I'm not talking about just Sunday. I'm talking about getting connected. Come on Wednesday. Get your kids plugged in with the students. Get your kids plugged in with children. Don't neglect... The meeting and the gathering together. That is the means that God has designed in addition to His presence. He has designed the redemptive body, the community together to enable one another to extend grace to walk us through not only the good times but the bad times. That we are together in Christ. God's designed that. So the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect meeting together, as are the habit of some. Some people just have the habit that if I go to church once or twice every five, six weeks, I'm good. We're never meant to suffer alone. See, our attitude is that we share faith. We sh- this is shared faith with the people that God has put us around. And that obviously implies that we are not intended to suffer through hard times alone. Because you know what? There's something encouraging that when I hear someone that they've walked through some difficult valleys or they might be in a very difficult situation and they're facing some hard stuff and I'm hearing them talk about their faith in God is stronger than it's ever been. Does that encourage you when you hear those things? Because, man, that makes me feel, that's so humbling at the stuff I whine about. And some of you I know right now because you come in prayer and you, I know you through the months, the years. You're here right now and you are in chronic pain as I speak. And yet you purposed to be among God's people. I'm humbled by that. I'm convicted by that. I'm encouraged by that. That helps me persevere. and should help you persevere. You see, notice what he says in verse 7 through 8. He said, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, notice this, this is the great apostle Paul telling this to these young believers. He said, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. How you're persevering through the difficulty where you're at. For Verse 8, for now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. You see, sometimes we just need to ask ourselves, do we really believe what we've been saying all these years? Because the testing of your faith, the hard times, the difficult times, the trials, that will determine whether you are acting like what you believe in. Is this real? Is this true? There's a hymn that I've been humming, singing to myself all week, because I'm the only audience that appreciates my singing. And it's that hymn that some of you may be familiar with. And it's the hymn, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. And we're going to sing it someday. But But I'm going to sing the first line to you. Not because I think I can sing, but just because I want to sing. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort. Here by faith in Him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me. Jesus do with all things well. For I know that whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. Oh. Listen. Whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way. All the way. Let's pray.